Man, go ahead and grab your seats. I just want to thank you all for being here today. What a great time of worship. Good job, worship team. Love you guys. So good. We are in a series on Jonah, and I'm going to preach this message to you today, even though I've got different emotions, my brain's a little bit scattered at the moment, but I I believe that God had a plan for us to have this uh, conversation today. This message was planned months ago. I didn't know the situation that we'd be in today. And sometimes, you know, you're not preaching to people, but you're also preaching to yourself when you are being reminded of God's word. And so I just need you to help me preach this. And I believe God wants to encourage us today with this story of what Jonah went through, that God put a calling on his life to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, which was 550 miles to the east from Jerusalem. And Jonah, instead of going where God called him, he ran 2,500 miles to the west on a boat to Tarshish. And it's easy for us to sit here in the air conditioning and judge him as you know being disobedient to God, like, Jonah, you should have listened to God. What were you thinking, man? You, you shouldn't have ran. You should have gone where he called. But we don't have a full appreciation for what he was going through. The, the Ninevites were a wicked and evil people. Modern historians call them a terrorist state. Nineveh was located in modern-day Mosul, Iraq, and they were known to be brutal to their enemies. They would do things like cut off their enemies' arms and legs and leave one arm remaining so they could shake their hands while they died. They would skin their enemies and put the skin on city walls as a warning to their enemies not to mess with them. You know, one historian said they would make their enemies listen to Taylor Swift albums over and over again until they went crazy. And so Jonah ran. It would have been like asking a Jewish boy to go to Nazi Germany in the 40s and preach against their wickedness. We understand why he ran. He was scared and he didn't want to go where God called him. But what we talked about is that when you run from God's calling in your life, your life becomes a downward spiral. You're never going to be happy or satisfied when you run from God's calling. So Jonah's on this ship going the opposite direction from where God called him and God sent a storm. And to save themselves, the, the sailors threw Jonah overboard. And as he's been thrown overboard, a great fish is sent by God to swallow Jonah. Here's what it says at the end of chapter one. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So let's have a little Bible study moment. Because this is a story, it was one of the most interesting stories, I think, in the Old Testament. I mean, it's a pretty uncommon experience to get swallowed by a fish. But people will read a story like this and they'll say, well, there you go, the Bible couldn't be true. That's impossible. It's impossible. Now, and I think it's first important to distinguish the difference between impossible and improbable. Impossible means something could not happen. Improbable means something is not likely to happen. So you might not be likely to get swallowed by a fish when you go into the ocean, but you could be. You could be, and so there are actually a lot of things we need to think through if we're gonna consider this story as being the trustworthy word of God. How would you explain this? How would you believe that Jonah got swallowed by a fish? Well, first, there's a natural explanation 
that this word great fish, it doesn't mean whale necessarily. It means great fish, but that could be any sea creature. We're talking about another language, the Hebrew language. So it could be like a whale shark, something like this. This is a whale shark the size of a school bus with divers right next to, right next to this whale shark. And so you look at the proportions of this, this size, and it's not that big of a stretch to think uh, that little guy could definitely fit inside that mouth. We know that that's possible, right? And so it's possible that there's a natural explanation that somehow, you know, Jonah got swallowed by this fish and he was in the stomach and that there might have been an air pocket in there somehow and he might have stayed alive. But then there, I think we should even put more of our, of our confidence in a supernatural explanation. There are historical accounts, actually, of people being swallowed by fish and living. There's a story of a guy named Marshall Jenkins was swallowed by a sperm whale in 1771 and survived. Another guy named James Bartley, who in 1891 was swallowed by a sperm whale that his whaling crew had harpooned. And the whale was killed days later and the guy was found alive but unconscious in the stomach and later recovered. And, and these are some stories from a couple hundred years ago. It's hard for us to know for sure today if, if they're verifiable or not, but we know that it's possible. And yet we know that there's an even more likely supernatural explanation. We know the, the passage says that God provided a great fish. So think about this. God, who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, he created your DNA and your genetic code to work perfectly so that you would grow and be born and thrive. Do you think he could create a special fish to transport a human? That's not that hard. I mean, like, for him, he could just snap his fingers and like, poof, special fish perfectly designed to transport a man. Like, I don't know. Maybe inside this fish, there was like recliners and, you know, like a TV. And maybe he was having a good old time in there. Or there's another possible explanation. One explanation is that maybe inside the fish, God allowed him to die. And then when he was spit out three days later, God resurrected him from the dead. How many of you know that God is in the resurrection business? And there's some evidence for this in Jonah chapter 2. It says this, the water closed in over me to take my life. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. What does that sound like? Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Sounds like he's talking about the Old Testament land, which we could think of as Hades, where paradise and hell were at. That's going into a whole other conversation. But this sounds like someone who is descending into death who is then brought up from the pit. So there are very plausible explanations for how this happened. And scripture is only helpful to you if you interpret it in the right way. You need to understand that the Old Testament, there are different types of literature in the Old Testament. There's the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. There are historical narratives. There's poetry. There's wisdom literature. You've got to interpret scripture the right way. If you interpret history as a poem, that's why people will say, well, that must be just like a metaphor. No, no, it, the book of Jonah is a historical account. Jonah is called the son of Amittai. He is called to the city of Nineveh. These are real places. You can go visit Nineveh today and see the ruins of the city. So if you take a historical account and you call it a metaphor, what you're doing is undermining the trustworthiness of God's word, and that compromises the truth of God's word. I want you to realize that we believe as Christians, I believe that this story is true. I believe that this happened. And I, I think, and I would propose to you, you as a follower of Jesus, you need to believe everything in the Bible is true. Everything in the Bible interpreted in the proper context is trustworthy. 
And I want you to realize that if you don't trust God's word, eventually you won't trust God's son. And it'll make it very, very difficult to ever find salvation. So I need you to realize we're not just having a Bible study right now. This story applies to your life. The Bible is not an old book. It's a timeless book. It doesn't tell us what just happened. It tells us what always happens. And we can learn from the story of Jonah because you got to realize this guy, he betrayed God's calling on his life and ran from God. I think there are some people here who might relate to that. Maybe at a time in your life, you ran from God. He betrayed God. He lost everything. He was thrown overboard. His life was hopeless. He was facing death. And I think that here in this day and age, we have people who can relate to a guy at that point. We have people here in our church, we have people in our church family who are experiencing and have experienced pain. People who've gone through hardship, maybe you've lived through or are living through your own storm. The problem is that most people don't know how to profit from their problems. Most people never learn how to harvest their hurts, how to learn from their losses. Mature believers though, they do those things. They advance through adversity. And if you don't do that, instead of becoming better, you're gonna become bitter and God's not gonna be able to use you the way that he wants to. So you gotta trust him in difficult situations that even when it looks like everything is breaking down around you, if you trust in the Lord, you can experience incredible breakthrough and see God work in mighty, miraculous ways. So I wanna talk today about what to do when life feels hopeless. What to do when life feels hopeless. There are four steps that we're gonna go through here. And here's the first one. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. It says in Jonah chapter two, verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I love this, that he prays to God from inside the fish. He was running from God. He was on a ship, wasn't working out anymore. Here he is inside the fish. I guess he came to the point where he was like, well, all I can do now is pray. He ran, but now he's turning to God. And often I'll I'll see people, they go through hardship, they go through tragedy, and they make the mistake of running from God. They run from God. They get mad at God. They become disappointed in their situation, and they run from God. And I understand that human reaction, but my question would be, who are you running to? Who are you gonna run to? If you're running from the one person who loves you faithfully and actually has the power to help you and heal you, who are you running to? That's a mistake. Don't run from God. If you're going through a hardship, turn to God. Draw near to God. What do you do when you hit rock bottom? I know a lot of people in our community and around the world have gone through experiences recently that have, man, sometimes feel like, Taking you to rock bottom. It started out last year, I'd say, when you couldn't get toilet paper. (laughs) And then I know some people, there was a lockdown. And then other people lost their jobs. And then some families had financial hardship. And then there was marriages that were strained. And that's hard. And then, as if that wasn't enough, some moms became homeschool moms. It's hard. And then you have friends that were going through sickness, people that you've been worried about, tensions in our society, and you can just find yourself at rock bottom. What do you do when you're at rock bottom? Dr. Tony Evans said, sometimes it's not until we get 
to rock bottom that we discover that Jesus is the rock at the bottom. And it's when you've been knocked flat on your back, that's when you are actually looking in the right direction. That's when you're ready to receive help from the only one who can help you. Sometimes you don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. If you're going through hardship, if you're at rock bottom, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? This leads me to the second step. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. I want to first read Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 here. It says this. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. I think this is an important prayer right here. I want to stop there because what you see is Jonah praying honestly to God. He's praying, Lord, it feels like you've driven me from your presence. Here I am going down to the land of the dead, and I feel like you've forgotten about me, like you've driven me from your presence. And see, what we got to learn through this is when we cry out to God, what we need to do is pray honest prayers. God doesn't want religious, trite, rehearsed prayers. That's because what he really wants, he wants real prayers because he wants a relationship with you. And he cannot relate to who we pretend to be. So what he wants is real, honest, desperate prayers. He wants us to say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm struggling. God, I'm scared. You know, the book of Psalms is so encouraging when you're going through hardship. And much of that book uh, was written by a guy named David, who is called a man after God's own heart. That's pretty high praise, coming from the word of God for a guy who had a lot of his own problems. What you see in the book of Psalms, out of about 150 Psalms, 50 of them are Psalms of lament. One third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. What does that mean? These are prayers of sadness, anger, desperation, and mourning, where the author is mourning, is angry, is crying out to God in sadness, feeling overwhelmed and desperate, expressing honestly how he feels. In one of the Psalms, you know, David says some things, man, that would make some of you blush. You would say, man, a man of God talked that way? Yeah. Here's one of the things David said, my enemies are all around me. God, I'm praying that you kill them and kill their children and break their teeth on rocks. Some of you are like, I need to remember that prayer. I got some people I need to start praying for. There's places where David says, God, it looks more fun not to follow you than to follow you sometimes. There are places where David prays, God, it feels like you're not even there, like you've abandoned me. And what you see in this pattern, these psalms of lament, is it starts out always the same, same pattern, same pattern. Author is very honest, confesses all of his fears, doubts, the things that he's struggling with, but it always comes back to the same place and always ends in the same place, always opens with honesty and ends with a declaration of God's promises, his greatness and his goodness. And that's how we should pray honestly to God. I'm scared, I'm worried, 
but I know that you're good and you're faithful. A lot of you know I have a little daughter named Lila, and I love her so much. Here she is. She just turned one years old, uh, one year old a couple weeks ago, and she's so cute. I mean, I love this little girl so much. A couple nights ago, I was going in to check on her. Usually I do that. It's like the last thing I do before I go to bed. I just want to make sure like, the temperature in the room is okay, make sure she's okay. So what I did was I, I slowly opened the door, and I just kind of crept in there, and she sprung up. Isn't it weird how babies have this sixth sense? Like they know you're in the room. She sprung up and she was looking at me and it was so dark in the room that I was like, man, I just wanted to go back to sleep. I wanna go to sleep. And I, I was thinking like Jurassic Park, I just froze. <laughs> go to sleep. I'm not really here, this is a dream. But she was too smart for that. She knew I was there. She realized I was there. And so she, she sit up, she's looking at me and she goes, and in that moment, you know, logically, I know I just need to walk away. She'll go to sleep. That's what's best for her. <laughs> That's what's best for me. I just need to back out slowly and let her fall back asleep. But as her dad, in that moment, I just don't want to walk away from her outstretched arms. When she's reaching out for me like that, expressing, I want you, I need you, as her dad, I want her to know, if you want me, I'm gonna respond to that. She doesn't have a lot of words that she can say, but she's clearly crying out, pick me up, hold me. And here I am, a sinful fallen man, and I can't say no to that. How much more is your father in heaven who loves you perfectly and faithfully gonna respond to you when you cry out to him in desperation and say, I need you. I want you. I'm longing for you. If a sinful man would respond with care and compassion for his child, how much more would a perfect loving father respond to you when you call out to him? Amen. I know maybe some of you have not been in this church for a long time or a church like this. Maybe you've only been a Christian for a little while and maybe you've wondered, why is it that all these Christians are like raising their hands and stuff when we sing? Sometimes we're raising our hands in victory. Other times we're raising our hands calling out to God and asking for him to draw near to us. And he always does. So don't suppress how you feel. Be honest. Confess how you feel and know that when you call out to God, when you cry out for him to come near to you, he will respond to that because he loves you. Here's the third thing we gotta do. We gotta cooperate with God. Cooperate. In Jonah 2, verse 7, he says this, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. So here he is. My life is slipping away. Those who worship false gods, what do they do? They turn their back on God's. They turn their back on God's mercies. They don't cooperate with God. But here's what he's saying. Even though my situation isn't good, I'm gonna praise you and I'm gonna fulfill all my vows. This is someone who is cooperating with God. And that would have been easier said than done. It's easy to talk about doing the right thing. It's harder to do the right thing when the rubber really meets the road sometimes. 
You think about what Jonah was dealing with. Imagine he gets thrown overboard, he's in the water, and he sees a giant whale shark coming towards him. What do you think if you see this mouth coming towards you? You think, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And and I'm sure that that's what Jonah was thinking. But now that we know the end of the story, we realize that the thing that Jonah thought was going to kill him was actually the thing that God was going to use to save him. And that's how God works so often in our lives. So often we think, man, that thing is going to kill me, but that's actually how God is going to save me. This giant fish was not God's punishment. It was God's providence. God was not paying Jonah back for running. He was bringing him back from running. That's exactly how God works. And we need to realize that because sometimes we'll be in the middle of a storm, the middle of a hard situation, and we'll be praying, God, take this storm away. That's a, of course that's how we pray. Why wouldn't you pray that? God, take the storm away. But what God does, he doesn't always remove the storm, yet he does promise to walk you through the storm. And let's not forget the fact that God's the one who allowed the storm to come into Jonah's life in the first place. God's the one that sent the fish to swallow him. See, the thing is, we know that God has good things for our lives, but we have to cooperate with his plan. What what, what does he want? What does he want from us? Well, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know God. And you experience this. You, You know God when you accept Jesus as your savior. You need to realize that until you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know God. You might know about God, but you don't know him until you know Jesus, until you accept Jesus. Man, the demons acknowledge God's authority. They cry out and they tremble at his power. And so to say, I believe in God, that doesn't mean anything. It's not until you receive him and know him as your savior. That's when you first know him. So he wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom. He wants you to break free from the chains of bondage, the things of sin that you used to deal with. He wants to transform you and conform you into the image of his son. He wants you to discover your calling. I talked about calling last week that God's given each and every one of you unique spiritual gifts. He's given you talents. He's let you experience certain things to shape you and prepare you for a calling that he has placed on your life from before you were knit together in your mother's womb. And then what he wants for you is he wants you to make a difference in this world. He wants you to minister to other people. And we all know that that's what God wants for us. He wants us to know him and find freedom and discover calling and make a difference. But what we don't always realize is he uses pain to accomplish all of that. We never pray for pain, we pray for blessing and favor. But sometimes God's favor is found in suffering. It's through pain we found salvation. How? Well, it started with the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. You couldn't have been saved without pain. It's when you hit rock bottom and you realize that God was all you have. That's when you decide, well, that's, that's who I really need. It's in pain that you find freedom so often. It's not until you're suffering in the middle of bondage, addiction, and depression that you go, I need help. I can't keep going like this. I need a doctor. I need a pastor. I need a counselor. I need to go to celebrate recovery. It's in pain you discover your calling. Remember we talked last week about how your deepest misery is how you are gonna find your greatest ministry. God uses your frustrations to reveal your divine function. 
It's through pain you make a difference in other people's lives. Before you experience your own pain, you will not be sensitive to other people's pain. And a lot of you have lived through that. You might on some level, like I remember a time in my life as a young guy, on some level you hear about other people suffering and you think, man, that's, that's too bad, that's sad, I, I'm sad that you're going through that. But I did not feel sensitive to other people's pain until I went through my own pain. And God does that through ministry. Uh, the mess that we go through, the mess and the pain and the hardship that we go through, it sensitizes us to see other people's suffering and then, that, then we are able to minister out of that. And people will hear this, this talk about calling and, and purpose. And again, I wanna just go back. There are so many of you who will struggle to believe that God has actually placed a calling on your life because you'll, you'll start to think about the things that you did wrong in the past. And the enemy will come along as the accuser of the saints and he'll start bringing up your record, your rap sheet, the things that you might have done wrong, the people you hurt, the affair, the divorce, the bankruptcy, the times you doubted God, when you used to run around and be a party animal and take advantage of people, things you said, the what, you know. And all he's trying to do is discourage you and make you feel unqualified to follow God's calling on your life. The thing is, we've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. God refuses to use perfect people. Fortunately for us, when we're broken and when we're humbled, that's when we're in the perfect position to be used by God. Your past mistakes are not gonna disqualify you from ministry. Your past mistakes are what qualify you for ministry. And I want you to hear what it says in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. It says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. See, Jonah ran from God, but I didn't cancel out God's calling because his calling is irrevocable. God does not have a plan B for your life. It's not like, well, she messed up the plan I had, so, okay, time for plan B. That's how we would think as humans, but that's not how God thinks. The things that you went through, that was part of his plan for your life. You can't mess up his plan. Jonah's plan Jonah didn't have to, to fall for plan B. You don't, you don't go into plan B when you mess up. His calling and his gifts are irrevocable. So believe that. We know that, that Jonah ran from God, and here he's in the situation where he feels hopeless inside a fish. He draws near to God. He cries out to God. He cooperates with God. I'm gonna fulfill my vows. And then here's the fourth thing you gotta do. You gotta trust God's heart. When you feel like life is hopeless, when you feel like I'm in the middle of a storm, I don't know what's gonna happen, you gotta trust God's heart. In Jonah chapter two, verse nine, he says this, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And I need you to understand, this is verse nine. It's not till after this that Jonah gets spit out of the fish. So here he is in the middle of a situation he doesn't understand. He doesn't know the outcome. He doesn't know how the storm is gonna end, but he does know his Savior's heart. He knows where salvation comes from. He knows who is good. His situation wasn't good, but he knew that God is good and salvation comes from the Lord. He was declaring salvation before he experienced salvation. And we need to be reminded of this. We know that God, he is always working. He is almighty, all-knowing, high and lifted up. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
What that means is he's going to do things that we don't have the ability to understand. I mean, that's unfortunate. You always want to know, well, what's going on? What's the plan? The thing is with God, he doesn't reveal the plan to us. He doesn't give us a manual with all the directions and all the things that you're going to experience along the way. What he gives you, he gives you the end of the story and a lot of promises that you can trust him. What he gives you is a ongoing demonstration of his love for you. Like, well, how am I supposed to trust his heart? People ask questions like this all the time. Why would God let this happen? What they're doing in that moment is they're questioning and doubting God's heart. They think, man, if my situation isn't good, does that mean that God's not good? But we gotta trust his heart because again and again, he has proven his love for you. Starting with this, sent his only begotten son to live and die for you. When Jesus was on this earth, the people that he came to save were pestering him with questions. They were saying, look, give us a sign. They were saying, if you really are the Messiah, then prove it, do a magic trick, give us a sign and prove it. And Jesus was fed up with these guys. I mean, Jesus had some pretty sharp words for people. Sometimes when I get sassy with people, they're like, you need to be like Jesus. And I'm like, I kind of am being like Jesus right now. Here's what he said, give you a sign. He said, you're a wicked and adulterous generation always asking for a sign. Wow. He said, the only sign I'm gonna give you is the sign of Jonah. Jonah went down into a fish for three nights. I'm gonna go down into the grave for three days and three nights. He said, I'm gonna die for you. And the way that Jonah came up out of that fish, I'm gonna come up out of that grave. Here's the thing you gotta realize that, that the, the death and resurrection of Jesus proves his love for you. He didn't just die for you, he died instead of you. How, how many of you, I know we got some really nice people in our church, like just crazy nice, like some of you are way nicer than me. But you would not sacrifice your child for someone else. No matter how kind you are, no matter how loving you are, you're not gonna make that sacrifice, that's what God did for you. I mean, very, very few of you would say, you know that guy on death row? I think I'm gonna go die for him. I just feel like oh, that's what God's leading me to do. Like maybe, but not likely. Yet that is exactly what Jesus did for you. He proves again and again his goodness and his love. Some of you wouldn't even be here right now living and breathing if God had not been good to you and rescued you from the pit that you were once in. Amen? And I'm reminding of, you, of this now. I'm reminding you of this now because there's gonna come a day when you find yourself back in a pit. And in that moment, you're gonna be tempted to say, God, why would you let this happen? Don't fall in to doubting God's goodness. Trust his heart. He's proven again and again. He's shown you his love over and over again. So trust him that he is good, even if your situation doesn't look good. We know in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, one of the most beloved verses of the Bible, it says, and we know that God causes everything, say everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Okay, quick timeout. 
I want to make an asterisk on this verse. I want to make a little pastoral note, and I want to share one of my pastor pet peeves, okay? It drives me crazy when people use this verse to encourage non-believers, non-Christians, people who don't know Jesus. They'll say, don't worry, God's gonna work it together for good. Not for them. He made this promise to those who love him. This is a promise for you who believe in Jesus. For non-believers, it's like, you're on your own. Maybe you can find some silver lining, but there's no guarantee. When you become a child of God, when you become a believer in Jesus, there's a whole nother level of promise you get to stand upon. The promise that God will work everything together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, that's easy to proclaim and celebrate. It's harder when you're in the middle of the things of the things, you know the kind of things I'm talking about? Like I want you to think about this. Every great day starts with coffee, amen? All God's people said amen. The nectar of the gods. Taste and see that the Lord is good, I have. Dark roast coffee, you gotta make it dark, you gotta make it strong, otherwise why even, no. I love coffee and I'm grateful for the coffee beans that make this coffee possible. But how many of you know, as good as these coffee beans smell, they smell real good. Let me get a little. No, they do not taste good. This is the third time I've tasted those coffee beans today. (laughs) And they're still terrible. I know a lot of you like the flavored creamer. Yeah, we got some fans of the coffee, mate. I'm not gonna judge you, you do you. But you also know that by itself, ugh. Okay, confession, this is just water. (laughs) I'm fasting right now, I'm not gonna break my fast for coffee, mate. But you get the point. And then here I got some steaming hot water. You can see the steam coming off of that? Some of you can. It's hot. It's real hot. And by its, no, I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) So here's what we got. We got something, by itself, this is not good. By itself, this is not good. Alone, not good. But when you put these things together in the right hands, it can create something that's very good. And this is so encouraging for us because you'll go through many things in your life that are not good. Being laid off is not good. Going through a divorce, not good. Having a miscarriage, not good. Having your father in the hospital is not good. But when you put these things in God's hands, When you trust him over time, you have the promise that he is going to work all these things together for good. That means that if it's not good, God's not done. He's still working. If you say, well, it's not good yet, that means God's not done. 
He's still working it together. He's still moving in ways you don't even see. Sometimes it's not till later that you look back and realize how he worked it together for good. So in the meantime, even when you don't understand what he's doing, trust in who he is. You know his heart. You know that he's faithful. You know that he's lo- he loves you and he has a plan for your life. Not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope and a future, amen? Do you receive that? I know some of you right now, what you need to experience, there could be someone with us, someone online maybe, you need to accept Jesus as your savior. You need to be transformed today from an enemy of God into a child of God. Because until you accept Jesus, you're not neutral. He said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And there could be people with us today that this is an important moment, maybe the most important moment of your life the moment you decide to stop running from God and accept Jesus as your savior. If you feel right now a calling, uh, tugging at your heart, some kind of pulling or something that's drawing you to God in this moment, that's the Holy Spirit of God who's here with us, who's with you right now in your home, and he is calling you, he's asking you, he's communicating to your spirit, open the door and let me in. And anyone who is willing to open the door and receive Jesus, that's who experiences salvation. We know that the way that we're saved. It's not by doing good things. It's not by proving anything. We're called by trusting in Jesus. Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling on the name of the Lord to save you is how we cry out to God and acknowledge, I need you. I need you, I can't save myself. These other things aren't gonna work. Religions, doing good things, making a lot of money, all all those things, nothing's gonna save me. I need God, I'm gonna call on the name of the Lord to save me. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do I know I'm saved? If you've done those things, you will be saved. The Bible guarantees it. You can take it to the bank. And so maybe there's someone here today who's like, I'm ready, I wanna do it. I'm gonna pray for everyone in a moment, but first I just wanna pray for anyone who wants to accept Jesus for the first time or maybe recommit your life to him for the first time in a long time. Let's bow our heads right now. Just have a moment of privacy. And if that's you and you're like, this is my day to stop running from God and instead turn to him, then pray this with me and say, God, I need you and I'm calling on you to save me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. He paid the price for my sins and I believe I am forgiven. I know he rose from the grave, he defeated death, and he offers me victory over sin and death and eternal life, and I receive this gift. I know it's not by my own good works. I'm being saved right now through grace by putting my trust in you alone. Thank you for loving me, thank you for leading me. I wanna follow Jesus for the rest of my days. Amen, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet at this time. God is so good. And hey, let's do this. Before we go forward, I just wanna take a quick pause to celebrate. If you just prayed that prayer with me right now, just raise your hand up, be brave. Be, that's great, that's awesome. Come on guys, back there, it's awesome. We got a gift for you guys. We just wanna give you a Bible. We're celebrating with you. So important, that decision that you just made. And if you just prayed that prayer, we know the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing when even one person is saved. So just imagine that right now. You just prayed a prayer and all of heaven just threw a praise party. How awesome is that? That's how big of a deal you are to God. So then let's do this. Let's close with this. I want to pray for anyone here who's with us today 
who is going through a hard time, who's in the middle of a storm, or maybe you feel hopeless about something, be reminded today, if it's not good, God's not done. We trust him, we trust his heart. So let's start right now by calling out to him, by drawing near to him. I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna invite you just to pray with me and agree with me together. Let's pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for your faithfulness and your loving kindness and we've experienced it again and again in our lives. So I pray that you would remind each and every one of your people of that right now, of your promises, that they are yes and amen, that you're the beginning and the end and you get the last word. God, you are good and you are in control. We know this. So we bring every single problem to you, every concern, every storm of life that we deal with. We place these things in your hand and we say, God, I can't control the outcome. So I'm trusting you just to work it together for good. My hope is in you alone. You are my living hope. And I declare that I will live in hope and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I pray for all your people that you bless them and show them your favor. In Jesus' name, amen.